Before the break, uh, we have reviewed the message of First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, that the, in fact, the, the 13th chapter being concerned with love, that the message is that a life characterized by love is more important in the church of Christ than the temporary exercise of spiritual gifts. So we said that is to be expanded using uh, three assertions. The first one is that the exercise of the gift of speaking in tongues without a life characterized by love is meaningless in that it gives a confusing message. The second, that the exercise of spiritual gifts of prophecy and faith without a life characterized by love is really uh, makes the believer ineffective or renders the believer ineffective. So we examine the uh, Greek word faith or pistis and we concluded that from our last study last week that it meant this the state of strong confidence and reliance upon God that is a gift from him that leads to the miraculous. And so we, with that, we indicated that uh, the apostle, in a sense, makes a statement that uh, has to do with exercising uh, all this faith without love and so we again review that expression in verse 2 where it says but have not love I am nothing and that again we may mean that uh, if he didn't have love he is worthless or unimportant to the church of Christ and that was why we indicated that if a believer is in a local church and does not exercise love, that believer is really uh, worthless to the church, so to say, the local church, uh, regardless of what uh, gifts the person may possess. In effect, then, we move from there to the third assertion, which is that exercise of spiritual gifts of help without Life characterized by love will not lead to eternal rewards. Now this, we said, is derived from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, that reads, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. Now we argued that uh, the conditional clause is really concerned with the gift of help. Although the word help is not used, but that it, it is connected with the gift of help. And we supported this with two arguments. First of all, we say we're keeping a pattern. First condition given in verse 1, associated with the spiritual gift of prophecy. The second is associated with gift of uh, faith, and so forth. So, if he keeps using the gift of, I mean, first one was tongue, the second one faith, I mean, faith and prophecy. So, if he continued using that pattern that we expect, when he got to verse 3, he should also be talking about 
a gift. And the only way that we know that it is a gift of help is because of what the apostle said. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the friends. So we went through to argue that the idea of giving all is a way to express the fact that we are dealing with a person with the gift of help. Since only a person with the gift of help, in a sense, can be uh, very sacrificial in a sense when it comes uh, to giving uh, in the way of helping others. So we also began to consider the second conditional clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3 where it says, And surrender my body to the flames. The word surrender is what we started to examine just before the break. And the last meaning we, we indicated was it meant, the Greek word meant to pass down. And that is how the word is used in Second Peter chapter 2 verse 21, which is where we begin uh, this second session. It reads, It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them, warning of spiritual retrogression or backsliding, so to say. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, the word is used really in the sense of to deliver, that is, to surrender someone or something to another, especially to an authority. However, the thing that is to be delivered, that is surrendered, is the apostle's body for a purpose. Now, the, the purpose of surrendering the body is where we have a problem due to manuscript variations. Of course, the reading in the 1984 edition of the NIV that is similar in many of our English versions is to the flames, when it says surrender my body, to the flames, or more literally, to be burned. However, if you consult some other English versions, such as the New English Translation, you will notice that there is another translation that is also now reflected in 2011 edition of the NIV, and that reads, instead of what we have in the uh, 1984 edition, we now read, that I may boast. That I may boast. So the question is whether what the apostle wrote in the Greek is that I should be born. Or whether he wrote that I may glory or boast. Now interestingly, the word translated uh, born is a Greek word kalteseomaya. Just for, I mean, most of you, my notes online, just for those who may not have access to, they can hear but may not be able to get online to print out something. That's why I'm writing it down. The Greek word is spelled K-A-U-T-H-E-S-O-M-I-A. Kautese Omaya. 
Now, the other one that translates that I may glory is Kaute Seomaya. Kaute Seomaya. Now, the, it reads, it, uh, I mean, it spells K A U C H E S O M I A. Now, for those of you who have the privilege of looking at the Bible, you see the difference here. That's what I realize C H and C H. That's the difference. Now, if we really use the Greek, you have C here, and here you have. Now, in the big. Some of the manuscripts, it's, it's very easy to confuse us too. They, they don't write uh, the way we do today. They, everything is written together in bold and so forth. So it is easy to um, confuse us too. See, the, everything is still the same, except that uh, if I put it CH and the other one is TH to translate it to the English. So that is because the first one says, Hina. Ketese Omaya. And the other one is Hina Kaioke Omaya. Sense Omaya. So they are quite, they sound the same really for those who when it's pronounced. So it, it can cause some problem. And that's why we have the problem. Anyway, there are major arguments in support of the reading that I should be born, the first one, that I should be born. Those who uh, go with that reading, their first argument is that there is an impressive number of witnesses. When we mean witnesses, that means manuscripts distributed in various places. That's what they're saying. There are many of it, including many manuscripts that range from the 4th to the 9th century. And that is also found in some apostolic fathers that support this reading. That's why they believe that. Now the second reason they give is that the reference to burning, burning, whether by martyrdom, as was the situation attempted on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or by voluntary self-burning, that is particularly suitable as the strongest example of sacrifice. That's why they go with the first reading, burning. Now, there are three arguments in support of the reading that I may glory or that I may boast. First, that there are more ancient, ranging from uh, the second to the tenth century, and manuscripts, and that there are more widely, uh, I mean, what we call a weighty, those that are more uh, reliable, they're more weighty manuscripts that support the second reading. Second, that it is easier to see why a copist would have changed this original reading to the one that translated that I should be bound than, than, than to see it the other way around. Third, that the Greek verb that means to glory or to boast appears a total of 35 times in the epistles of the apostle so that it makes more sense that the apostle will have used it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. So, having considered 
the arguments in support or against each reading that I, I present, that the experts have given us. I personally accepted the original reading or that which the apostle, that what the apostle wrote is that I may boast or that I may glory. My conviction is based primarily that it is a reading that is found in the most ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts. And so, explains then better the origin of the other variations of the sentence found in other Greek manuscripts of a later uh, time than the second and third centuries. Because the first one, the alias is found is in the fourth century. But this uh, uh, one of boasting of glory is found in the second century manuscripts. That's closest to the original. So we, that's why I'm convinced that that's the original reading. It's not burning, but boasting. Anyway, admittedly though, the reading that I, I should be burned is easier to explain in terms of Macedon. But the apostle used conditions that he will still be around after the action stipulated is carried out. For example, the giving to the poor is something that is, after it is completed, the apostle will still be around. That is still alive. But martyrdom is something that if it comes, well, the apostle will be out of this world. And so, the condition he sets up then will not make sense if the person is already dead. So what does it matter? He's already gone. So we take the more difficult reading. It's more difficult reading in terms of interpretation that to say that I may glory or that I may boast. So I give my body that I may glory or that I may boast. That's more difficult to explain. Because it's easier to say I give my body to born than it is to say I give my body to glory or to boast. Yet, because of what I've argued, that the oldest known manuscript has that written, that I believe it is the original, that I may glory or that I may boast. So that puts us on a challenge of how do we interpret it. And it's going to go through, I'm going to go through a lengthy process. So you need now to put on your concentration heart so you can follow my reasoning. Now, so accepting then the more difficult reading implies that the conditional clause the apostle wrote should then read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2 this way. And if I give over my body so that I may boast. If I give over my body so that I may boast. Now, as we have stated, this clause uh, presents an interpretation difficulty because it does not say to what the apostle gives his body over to. It doesn't say, except to, to both. Now, to interpret the clause, we really then need to understand the sense in which the apostle used the word body, that word body, which, since it is, of course, subject to Many possible interpretations. That word body. 
Furthermore, it is as we understand how the apostle used it, that we will understand the various ways the apostle has used the word body, especially as he spoke of himself. If we can get all that together. Now, the other word that we need to understand what the apostle meant is the word burst. Again, the Greek word is subject to various interpretations, as we'll note later. So, if we understand how the apostle used it, we'll then be in a better position of interpreting the conditional clause that we are considering. Now, the first word that we need to consider is that word body. Body. That is translated from a Greek word that is used both literally and figuratively. Literally, of course, it is used for the body of a human being or an animal, as in the instruction of the Lord Jesus, not to be afraid of those who can only kill the body, but of God who can destroy both body and soul in hell, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 it is do not be afraid of those who can kill the body just literal body they cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell now the word body they refer to a dead car, uh, body or just a cause, as the apostle, I mean, as in Jesus' declaration recorded in Luke chapter 17, verse 37. Luke 17, verse 37. It reads, Where, Lord, they asked, he replied, where there is a dead body, that's a cause, there the vultures will gather. Now the body may refer to a living body, such as the one that's involved in sexual immorality, as stated in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It is, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, figuratively, the word, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word body to refer to the Christian community. To the Christian community. Hence, the Corinthians, uh, to the Corinthians, the apostle indicated that they are the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. First Corinthians 12, verse, 20, uh, verse 27. 
he reads, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Now the same concept, and I'm not going to read it, but the same concept that indicates that body refers to the community of believers, uh, or that it refers to the church of Christ. That same concept is given in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And you can uh, jot it down and read it later on. It's the same concept. Now the Greek word that's lit- that um, literally means body can actually mean nature. Nature. As it is used in Colossians chapter 3, I mean chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 and hold on to Colossians actually the same chapter it is in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature not with a circumcision done by the hands of men but with a circumcision done by uh, Christ. That, when it says sinful nature, it's really sinful body. But here, that word has a sense of nature. Now, the word may mean the thing itself, the reality or an image of a body that casts a shadow, as the word is used in that Colossians 2, look at verse 17. Verse 17 reads, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See that clause? The reality, however, is found in Christ. If literally the Greek reads, and the body is of the Christ. But we'll see that it means reality. Body can mean, the Greek word can mean reality. Now the word may simply mean physical. The word translated body may mean physical. As it is used to describe the needs of the destitute believers that may go unmade in James chapter 2 verse 16. James chapter 2 verse 16. James chapter 2 verse 16. Hold on to James, of course. So if anyone says to him, Go, I wish you were keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? See that phrase, his physical needs, literally Greek reads, the things needful for the body. The things needful for the body, but it's translated physical here. Now, the word may, may refer to an entire person. The word body can refer to, to the entire person as it is used to describe the corrupting activity of the small thing called the tongue. How it can corrupt according to James chapter 3 verse 6. James
James chapter 3 verse 6. It is the tongue also is a fire, a wall of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life of his life on fire, and it itself and is itself set on fire by hell. Now the sentence it corrupts the whole person is literally from the Greek defiling the whole body. See, it's not talking about physical bodies, it's talking about the person. So it is clear then that the corrupting influence of the tongue is on the entire person that includes body and soul and not merely on the physical body. In our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, our Greek word soma is really used in the sense of the entire structure of an organism, whether it's animal or human being. And so it means living body. Living body. Something then will be done to this living body and that will lead to the apostle boasting. Whatever is done to this body, that's what will lead him to boast. Because he says, so that I may boast. Now remember now, if you have the 1984 edition, I have discarded the translation, give to born. I'm not using the translation, so that I may boast. So, once we understand that, we can now look at that word boast. Now, the word boast is translated from a Greek word that means to express an unusual high confidence of degree, I mean degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy so that it means to boast. However, there are several nuances to the Greek word. So it may mean to brag. To brag. That is to say something boastful. As it is used by the apostle in Romans chapter 2 verse 23. Regarding uh, as he addressed the Jews who have the law. Romans chapter 2 verse 23. And hold on to Romans, once you get it. Romans 2, verse 23, reads, You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? In other words, they brag, we, we, are, we have the law. And he say, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? That's the same thing. You know, some of us will say, well, I have knowledge of this doctrine, I've learned this and learned that. But do you live up to it? Now the word may mean to rejoice. To rejoice. As it is used in Romans chapter 5 verse 11. Same word that means to boast. Here is translated to rejoice. In Romans chapter 5 verse 11. It is. Not only is this so. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now the clause, but we also rejoice in God, is literally, but we are also, but also we are boasting in God. We are boasting in God. 
Now the Greek word may mean to glory. To glory. That is to take great pride or pleasure in something. Or to rejoice proudly. As the apostle used it in reference to believers' relationship in Christ. As stated in Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. It reads, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, that verbal phrase, glory in Christ, is more literally boasting in Christ Jesus. Boasting in Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word may mean to take pride. To take pride. As in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Now, hold on to 2 Corinthians once you get it. Because the next two passages will be also in Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter five verse twelve reads We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. So that verbal phrase to take pride in us is literally to boast about us. To boast about us. Hence, we see then that the Greek, our Greek word can be used in different ways that may be negative or positive. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3, it is used with the meaning to boast positively. Positively in the sense then of to be brought off. Not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. Now so to help them, us interpret the clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3 again when it says, And if I give over my body so that I may boast. And I keep reminding you, if you have the 1984 edition, you notice I didn't use the word born anymore. I say, so that I may boast. Now, again, these are kind of those things that when you understand, um, you don't become uptight with people when you're trying to make your point. If they have a version that read differently from yours, you say, well, there must be some manuscript problem. That's why we, ours read differently. And, you know, you can explain, hopefully you remember at least some of the arguments here as to why we prefer uh, this reading. Now, so, again, it says, And if I give over my body so that I may boast, in order to interpret that, it is necessary for us to consider then some of the boasts of the apostle that indicated he, the, the kind of boast he made 
all he desired to make as he relates to himself. Because he's using himself and the body is the issue here. He said, if I give my body. So we have to see how he, how he has used his body in some of his writings. Now, these are things that help us to come to actual understanding of a passage. So the apostle alluded to, uh, to boasting about the authority the Lord gave him for building up of believers in Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 8. That's some of the things he boasts about. Second Corinthians 10 verse 8. It reads, Even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Now the apostle boasted about his heritage as a Hebrew, as a slave of Jesus Christ, and about the various sufferings he underwent for Christ's sake. So he boasted Hebrew heritage, being a slave of Jesus Christ, and his sufferings, as recorded in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 28. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 21 through 28 reads To my shame I admit that we are too weak for that. That's being sarcastic of course. What anyone else dares to boast about I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. In danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, 
and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So what he boasted about. So because what we are reading is he boasting giving about his body. He said, give my boss so I can boast. So here we've seen some of the things he's boasting about. Hence then, we see that the apostles boasting involved his position in the Lord, his function as a slave of Jesus Christ, and his sufferings. Now to narrow down the boasting of the of what the apostles meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3, we should consider the things that he spoke in general about the body and personally as involving his own body. Now there are two general things the apostle wrote regarding the body of believers that are important in our quest to interpret what the apostle meant. In that clause of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 3 again, he says, And if I give over my body so that I may boast. There are a few things we need to look at. So there are two things the apostle uh, said in particularly, two general things that he said about the body that become important in our interpretation. The apostle spoke of offering of the body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 it is therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, talks about the body as a living sacrifice. The apostle here probably, of course, meant for the believers to devote their entire person to God in such a way that they are at God's disposal to do what He wants. In other words, you. Present yourself in such a way God can use you to do anything He wants. You don't, you don't resist anything He wants to do with your life. Whatever He says He wants to do, you just go. You don't shake your head and, you know, because if you shake your head knowing that He is God, He can laugh at you and you shake all you want, you still do what He wants done anyway. But it's better for you not to shake your head where He has to correct you by kind of pushing you with some kind of pain. If you just go and do it willingly, that would be easier. So that's what he's saying here. Uh, that's maybe what the apostle is saying. Make yourself so that you're uh, a, 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 more like a, a doll in God's hand. He can make you the way he wants. Don't resist. That's what he's saying. That's part of making ourselves a living sacrifice. Make ourselves available so he can use us any way we want without, I mean, he wants without us uh, resisting. Now, the next general thing. The apostle says about the body concerns its harsh treatment. He goes from living sacrifice 
offering the body so you can God can use us. Then he talks about harsh treatment of the body. This we know from what's written in Colossians chapter 2 verse 23. Colossians Colossians 2 verse 23. It is such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. They, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's talking about those who, in their mind, because of some of the things they do, they have put themselves up there as top-notch Christian uh, or those who are spiritual giants. Anyway, this, the statement here, or the phrase, the harsh treatment of the body, refers to some form of self-denial. So that the body is denied things it needs. Now this harsh treatment could in, include fasting and abstinence from certain foods. Now this general description of the treatment of the body is related to the apostles self-discipline of the body for the purpose of spiritual progress that he described as the beating of his body in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27. First Corinthians You can put your marker there, even after a passage. I'm going to make a reference to it, but if you don't, you don't have to. Uh, but I'll still make a reference to it after I go to one passage. First Corinthians 9, verse 27 reads, Now I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now the word beat here is translated from a Greek word that in Greek literature is used in the sense of to give black eye to someone. However, in the Greek New Testament, the word may mean something like to wear out, to wear out. As it is used in the lost parable of the woman who pleaded with the unjust judge, so to say, to help uh, her, for which the judge granted her request to keep from being worn out by her, as described in Luke chapter 18, verse 5. Luke 18, verse 5. Luke 18 verse 5 says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. 
so that she won't eventually wear me out. That's the Greek word translated a bit in 1 Corinthians 9.27. But here it's trying to wear me out with her coming. Now another meaning of the Greek word is to put under strict discipline. To put under strict discipline. Or to exercise self-control. Now it is with the meaning of to discipline that the word is used in 1 Corinthians 9.27. In effect then, the idea of the word is to keep one's body under complete control with the implication of rough treatment given to the body, possibly as an aspect of uh, discipline. Now, to be full control. I mean, many of us, we just don't have control over our bodies. And that's why we are kind of weak. We, you know, we overeat. That's part of it, that weakness. Anyway, the apostle also reference Christ being magnified or honored in his body according to Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. Philippians 1 20. Philippians 1 20 reads I, I, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. So the idea of the apostle magnifying or exalting Christ involves some form of suffering as well. So, in other words, the apostle will bring honor to Christ by the physical toil and suffering he will endure for Christ's sake. If he were put to death for Christ's sake. That's what he means here. With this explanation then of what the apostle stated about his body, discipline, and of course body in general, we are now in a position to interpret what the apostle wrote. I've laid the background, now I can interpret it. So when the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, using the uh, preferred translation I gave you, and if I give over my body so that I may boast, he meant to say that if he subjected his body to severe sufferings, because of preaching the gospel and the exercise of self-discipline so he could be proud of his achievements. In other words, if he subjects his body to suffering, especially because of preaching the gospel, and if he exercises self-discipline so that he could then be proud of his achievements because he's, you know, he sacrifice something, so to say, and now here are the result, and he can be uh, proud of them. So it is probably then, this interpretation of if he puts some kind of suffering, if he goes through some kind of suffering, subjects himself to that, 
that the translators of the 2011 of the NIV uh, edition intended them when they translated the clause with the word hardship. Since they now they translated it this way, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. So what I'm saying is the apostle said yes, I, I, if I give my body subjected to discipline, if I subject it to suffering, so then I and so I can do certain things, then I can boast about it. That's what we believe is uh, dealing with here. So it is suffering then, or self-discipline of the body, that is an activity of the apostle for which he will still be alive after it. Especially since the apostle referred to his self-discipline in the ninth chapter of First Corinthians. So he is concerned with discipline of the body. That's what he's concerned with. If I put some discipline to my body, and as I've said, many of us just don't know how to discipline our body. You discipline your body, it's good force in your mind. That we deny our body certain things. You know, like I use food for an example. Most, many of us just don't know how to discipline our body because we eat and just keep eating. Instead of saying, no, my body, I can give you this, whatever he's craving for. So I can give it to you. Therefore, then here, that is really what we believe the apostle uh, was concerned with. So he must, he must be uh, what he conceived in that conditional clause that he gave. He is conceived of self-discipline of the body in such a way that it gives him the privilege of doing certain things for which he can be uh, a boastful about. So having stated this condition then, the apostle then made a statement that he made previously that is necessary to make sense of the third assertion that exercise of the spiritual gift of help without a life characterized by love would not lead to eternal reward. Now, so this statement is given uh, next in that in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, when it says, but have not love. It comes back to that. So you can do all this self-discipline. But you say, if I do all this suffering and do all this, and not to have love. That's a tough thing to understand. Anyway, the expression, we have not love, this third time, supports our interpretation that the expression is concerned with a life characterized by love, implying habitual control of the Holy Spirit. Habitual control of the Holy Spirit. Now this is because one would expect that a person who gives all his possessions to the poor is motivated by love. But that is not necessarily the case. A person may give and not be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that with the case of Colonius. Now, so, we can see all that also. When I make these points, I'd like to uh, support them from the scripture so you can see them. So, my argument is, a person, I'm talking about a believer. A believer can help and not be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
Now that's a terrifying thing in a sense. If you're thinking about your eternal reward. That you can do good things to help other people. And it means nothing. Because you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying that two believers can do that. Two believers can give. One controlled by the Holy Spirit. The other one not controlled. The one that counts. The one controlled by the Holy Spirit. The other one doesn't count. Now we have an example of two believers. Giving. One controlled by the Holy Spirit and one not. So here... A good example is, first of all, Barnabas is described as giving to the church the proceeds from the sale of his property. As we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through 37. Acts Hold on to Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 reads Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Although you read that and say, where does it talk about Holy Spirit controlling him? That's why we study the Bible. And look at the context. So although it is not directly stated that Barnabas was filled of the Holy Spirit when he gave. That is implied by the contrast of the second person who gave, that is Ananias, as recorded in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hold on to that chapter. It reads, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now clearly, Ananias was not filled of the Holy Spirit. As indicated, not only by his action, because he was lying. That implies deception. But because Apostle Peter said he was controlled by Satan. According to that Acts chapter 5, look at verse 3. Look at the next verse, verse 3. Verse 3 says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it? That Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land. Does it? We can see that a person may give sacrificially and not be filled of the Spirit. See those two men. Of course, that should not be difficult to really understand when we realize again that there are many unbelievers who for altruistic reasons give sacrificially of their wealth. But I'm used to believers because what the apostle is talking about and the, the assertion we made has to do with eternal reward. 
So we have to use two believers. Now, so a person who gives sacrificially or who disciplines self so to boast of it, if not controlled by the Holy Spirit, has achieved nothing of eternal value. Hence, our third assertion that exercise of spiritual gift or help without a life characterized by love will not lead to eternal reward. Now, I am saying that the apostle is concerned here. So if I did all that, if I disciplined myself, and second say I did great things, if I'm not controlled by the Holy Spirit, it means nothing. Now, so this is, this is, this concept of not receiving reward, though, is then given in the last sentence of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, that we're studying, where it says, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Now, the word gain is translated from a Greek word that may mean to help, as the word is used in Jesus' denunciation of Jewish religious leaders for mishandling of God's word regarding honoring of one's parents, as we read in Mark chapter 7, verse 11. Mark chapter 7, verse 11. He reads, But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban. That is a gift devoted to God. In other words, the commandment says, honor your father and your mother. Part of honoring father and mother is not just respect. It's taking care of them. And so these people found a smart way of getting around that. And say, you just, all you have to say, whatever you have, just say, is devoted to God. And in that way, that will absolve you from helping your parents in a financial way, for example. And that's what Christ is saying, that these people found a way to uh, circumvent the word of God. Now, anyway, but here, the Greek word we're looking at may also mean to benefit or, or to profit or to be of use, as the word is used in our apostle Paul's rebuke of those in Galatia that were trying to become circumcised due to false teachers or those who are trying to influence them to do something so that they get some kind of uh, brownie point, so to say. As this is the way the apostle used it in Galatians chapter 5 verse 2. It is, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, the sentence, Christ will be of no value to you at all, is more literally, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, the world has a sense of to profit or to benefit. Now here is the thing. You see, what 
every believer should be looking forward to for doing good or for self-discipline in spiritual life is eternal reward. Let me repeat that. All of us, once you are saved, once you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. That's settled. You're going to heaven. That's not the issue anymore. The issue is there will be reward in heaven. And you don't want to get there with nothing. Now I know some of you don't really know what it means to have nothing. So you probably don't understand what I'm saying now, in some way. And many people in this country don't know what it means to have nothing. If you know what it means to have nothing, think about in heaven. You'd be ashamed to be in heaven, more or less, with nothing. Although, we, you know, the sense of shame, we don't know it will happen, but we don't know how it's going to happen or how long it will last. Can you imagine walking into heaven? Getting there. Nothing. You just there. And you look at around you, some other believers, they're all decorated. So that's what we're saying. Our struggle now is no longer anything to do with salvation. Because that's a settled matter. You have believed in Christ, you have eternal life. The thing is, how are you going to be placed in heaven? What kind of reward are you going to receive? That's the issue. And that's what all of us should be working towards. Is so that when we get there, we receive the best kind of uh, blessings from the Lord. So then, what we are really looking at then is this. If a person has orders, the individual should expect eternal reward from God. Anytime you do that, that's what you should, I mean, I know most of them we don't think in those terms, but you should do yes, whatever you do to help other people in terms of not them, but the reward waiting for you from God because of that. So, you should expect eternal reward. But, if the help is rendered not under the filling of the Holy Spirit, then as far as eternity is concerned, such help rendered does not lead to eternal reward. That's what the whole thing Apostle is talking about here. If you're going to be of help, if you're going to do something to help people, be sure that you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, whatever you do has no value. People may thank you here, but that's okay. What about heaven? That's what our goal is, or should be. That whatever we do, it doesn't matter what it is, that it should be something that God will reward us in eternal state. So, if you do it without being controlled by the Holy Spirit, that means you are not characterized by love. Therefore, you will not be rewarded. Hence, this third assertion, again, that exercise of spiritual gift of help without a life characterized by love will not lead to eternal reward. So, if anything, if you don't remember anything this morning, I want you to remember that what we have emphasized is if you do anything on this planet, you should expect to be rewarded in heaven. However, if you do it not controlled by the Holy Spirit, then it means nothing. It goes nowhere. Which means that you cannot be a person who just flows in the air. 
mindless. You must be a thinking person. Every time you're functioning, you should be thinking. Everything you do should be guarded with this understanding. I am doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I'm doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, I better be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So you check your motives, you check everything, and be sure that you're controlled by the Holy Spirit in doing whatever you do. So with this, then, we end this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, by reminding you of the message, which is, a life characterized by love is more important in the church of Christ than temporary exercise of spiritual gifts. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or somebody listening over the internet who wants you to know of the love of Christ for you. That love is quite evident in that he left heaven in all his glories, came down to this planet, lived among sinful people. You can't imagine what it was for him to keep seeing sinners in close contact with him. And yet, because of the love that he had in coming to this planet, he endured all this. They abused him, spoke badly of him, resisted him, rejected him. You know how you feel when people reject you. Can you imagine the creator coming here and those he created rejected him? It must have been awful in a way. Yet Christ, because of his love, endured it all because he wants you to have eternal life. So, after he endured all that, eventually he was arrested and taken to Calvary, there uh, at Golgotha. They laid him down and crucified him, raised that cross and sunk it to the ground, and it was so painful. Yet the Son of God did not cry, did not say, make any sound, until the last, last three hours when my sins your sins and the sins of the whole world we are being judged on the Son of God. That's when the one who knows no sin, one who has never had contact with sin, came into contact with the judgment of our sins. That was so unbearable that even when he didn't scream because of the painful thing of driving, driving nail through his body, this was so unbearable to tell you how, what a horrible thing it is when sin comes in contact with the Holy God. He let her cry, Eloi, Eloi, Lamashbakatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was forsaken that you may be brought in? Was forsaken that you may have life? How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you to believe again? The Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, believing in Him, you have life through His name. So if you believe that He died, was very rose again the third day, you will have eternal life, no matter how sinful, no matter what sins you've committed, they will all be cleansed. And you'll go scot-free because He has paid for your sins. So believe in Him and you will receive eternal life. On the other hand, if you say, well, I don't want to, or that I can postpone it, my friend, then here's the reality. You don't know when you're going to die. There's no warning to say that you can see the next minute. So, now is your day of salvation. Now is your time. Trust in him and escape his coming judgment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will uh, describe in our soul and cause us to recognize the importance 
of being controlled by the Holy Spirit in whatever we do in order to honor and glorify you. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.